Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Uh, we provide easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses. I will be your host for today. If interested, please visit fscreditline.com if you're looking for a line of credit for your business. It's always a good thing to have. Again, FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 years, I have built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing list. I love learning and I love to meet people like our guest today who have business experience. And today I'm very excite- excited to be speaking with Philip Lowe's from Acru, A-Q-R-U. Philip Blows is a, or Phil is a founder and CEO of Acru PLC, a business that specializes in helping institutional and retail customers earn high interest rates on their cryptocurrency. Acru recently crossed the 10,000 active customer bar and is on an explosive growth trajectory. Philip, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. You know, one of the best books I, uh, you know, I think as business people, we all have certain books that we're really impressed with um, that stick with us for the rest of our lives. One of them for me was um, uh, by Robert Kobielski, who wrote um, What the Rich uh, Teach Their Children About Money. And, uh, you know, he, I wouldn't, he really talked a lot about passive income. And today, our topic is going to be creating passive income and financial freedom for business owners, uh, which, you know, I think over the last 10 years, the, the concept of passive, passive income has become much more well-known. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you say, the body of literature on it has been huge. And, um, you know, kind of going back to the, the four hour work week, I think was one of the yeah. big books that I think lo- loads of people always quote where they, you know, kind of creating businesses for, for lifestyle and, um, you know, trying to, trying to sort of create freedom of time as well as, as well as money. Um, so yeah, I can, I think it's, it's really kind of coming into the day to day lexicon now. And it's, it seems to be, especially as you speak to kind of the, the younger generation coming out of college, it's amazing. Some of them have already they've already got two or three income streams, you know, social media following that they've, they've monetized or, you know, whatever else it might be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely appearing and, uh, is, is more widely done, I think. So, uh, let's just make sure everybody's on the same page. Why don't you tell us, uh, tell us, let's just define what passive income means. I think, well, it, for me, it's, it's kind of set it and forget it income. So, you know, pa- a lot of people talk about passive income, in terms of, you know, it might be the sort of a, an e-commerce business that they've set up and put some work in and maybe they only need to put a certain amount of time in each week. I think it's almost, to me, that's probably not purely what passive income might be. Passive income, in, in you know, is by sort of definition is, you know, you're not having to do anything. It's ticking along in the background. I think then people will look at it to say, well, you know, if it only, if it only takes a little bit of prodding every, every week, a few hours a week, then maybe it's more passive than a full-time job. So, 
it's somewhere in the in the in in the region there is just something that you know doesn't take a lot of lot of stress or kind of time or, or additional financing and you know just generate a nice stream of income in the background for you yep gotcha now uh Let's uh, get into your bio just a little bit because it's certainly, you know, uh, I haven't really studied much about cryptocurrency. You know, it just just hasn't really caught my interest. And, you know, so you, you know, the thing that you've written about or that, you know, your bio says is that uh, you specialize in helping institutional retail customers earn high interest rates on their cryptocurrency. So tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So, I mean, I think I was in probably quite a similar boat to yourself. I wasn't necessarily a very early adopter of crypto. So my my background is sort of 17 years in traditional finance, where I was trading, I was in sales within finance, doing foreign exchange, all, all the typical things, and also helping people build traditional portfolios. So the idea when I saw crypto for the first time, I was naturally incredibly skeptical because didn't really, you know, couldn't really see something I guess people were just shouting about it as being this amazing, you know, wealth creation event, which was highly speculative and, you know, was very, very volatile. All the things that typically didn't appeal to me as an investor. So I think quite, I was quite late to it, but what, what emerged from the initial kind of speculative craziness that you saw in crypto was sort of the real world use cases, which is, which is a concept called decentralized finance, which is very much a, Imagine you know, being able to deposit, borrow, and lend money, but without a bank in the middle. It's effectively like an, onla- yeah, an online peer-to-peer platform whereby you know borrowers and lenders come together without a bank taking a huge cut, and it's all done online. It's all done via what's called smart contracts, and you know, consequently, all of the earnings go back to the, the borrower or the lender. Um, so when these sorts of platforms started appearing, that kind of sparked my interest. Yeah, because I, I suddenly saw a way that you know you take these these cryptocurrencies, and you know really only the major ones. If you think about the the top cryptos are, are Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then this category of crypto called stablecoins. And stablecoins are simply cryptocurrencies that track the value of the dollar, so they don't have all of that crazy volatility. And there are counterparties in the market who really want to borrow these assets from you, and. The job of what a crew does is to go out on behalf of our customers, find the most creditworthy ones of those of those people wanting to borrow, and sort of optimize a portfolio to generate interest on it. So, a typical customer might, might come to us, say they've got fifty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin or fifty thousand dollars worth of just normal dollars, and they say, "Well, you know, I can see on your platform you're paying twelve percent interest on, say, U.S. dollars." Once I convert them into these dollar back crypto, you know, I don't want any of the hassle of kind of going out and trying to work out which counterparties in crypto to lend to. So I'd prefer an expert to do it. So they deposit the money and it just generates that kind of monthly cash flow for them. And you can do that with Bitcoin, you can do that with Ethereum. So the slight difference with Bitcoin and Ethereum is unlike the dollar, if you're holding Bitcoin, you're hoping that the price of that Bitcoin is also going to go up massively in price. So not only are you getting this passive income, but you're also hopefully getting a lot of you know, um, you know, capital appreciation as well of the underlying asset. And uh, so just simplifying that whole process, making it really easy to use and putting it in an app that you, know, you can track and you know, just sits on your phone. You know, the, the interest ticks up in real time. Yeah, that, that's what we've built and that's what we do. Well, what, what do you, uh, how do you determine 
like 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 my business, for example, you know, we provide small business lines of credit. We're looking at documents. Uh, we're looking at the hit past history of the organization. Uh, we're looking at a credit score. Uh, what are you looking at to make that determination? If uh, are you investing in you know a person, uh, a company? What are you investing in? Really, really good question. Because yeah, th- this this is a big fundamental difference. So what you're effectively doing is you're in, you're, you're investing in an online platform. So basically a peer-to-peer lending platform. Now, so what you're doing there is it's a slightly odd concept, but because these assets sit in what's called a smart contract and they're kind of governed by code, at that point, no one, obviously you still have a claim to them, but ownership never transfers to another counterparty. So in essence, if the party that you lent to went bust, you you wouldn't lose your assets because they're all fully collateralized on these on these peer-to-peer platforms and it just immediate and the, the the way that the contract works it just immediately pulls the assets back and pays them back to you and that kind of can't be you know can't be undone so what you're effectively doing with 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 this sort of decentralized finance lending product is you're exchanging counterparty risk which is what you're obviously very familiar with with effectively technology or hacking risk and you'll read about these hacking events that happen in crypto generally comes from sort of poorly run or poorly managed, um, you know, peer-to-peer lending platforms in the crypto market that have been hacked and those those smart contracts have been tampered with and the assets have essentially been stolen. So the job of someone, a professional company like ourselves, and this is something that we've been doing for as long as sort of decentralized finance has been around, is been going and assessing these platforms finding out which ones are good, which ones are bad. And, you know, we have to go and you have to look at the code base. We have to look at the team. We have to look at the, you know, there are all third-party auditors that can go in and actually do a full operational and code audit on the actual platform itself. And only the best ones have those. So, that, you know, that's a prerequisite that we would always have in place. Um, and then it's also just looking at the return and how many assets they already have. You know, it's it's there's a bit of a survival of the fittest in the, in the crypto market. So, the best platforms have billions and billions of dollars on them and everyone in the world has already tried to hack them and failed. So it's almost like that along with all the other, the other decent um, kind of prerequisites that we have before we put any money into a, into a platform, make it quite a robust process. A 12% return is, is a pretty high return. And usually there's a risk associated with the reward. So at a 12% return, why is the 12% return so high is there must be a the risk there associated with it when you're you know you're looking at the stock market returning on average over a 30 year period a 6% return a 7% return yeah. uh and yet you're paying a 12% uh why i think there was there's a couple of reasons first of all the market's not entirely sure how to quantify the risk of kind of blockchain technology um and you know, secondly, there, there's a couple of sort of nuanced points there. First of all, the the rate the rate is only really um, able to be that high if there are people out there willing to borrow at a higher higher rate. And the reason that there is is because currently, if you look at what these you know, when if you look at what the counterparties who are borrowing are actually up to, they are doing things like they're leveraging their own positions. They are doing what's called cross exchange arbitrage. Um, all these sorts of things. Basically, there's a very, very the crypto remains a hugely inefficient market. So the people who are borrowing at twelve percent are out there making 
you know, 20, 30, 40% a year. You know, there's that kind of sort of fat still left in the crypto system that they're very, very high returns. Now, probably the slightly more, there's a slightly different sort of nuanced point to how these platforms reward their customers as well, which I would argue actually doesn't increase the risk of the of the transaction. If you if you picture if you picture your bank when you make a deposit in your bank in, in your bank, they'll pay you a very small interest and that that's it. Now, if that same bank said, okay, well, we want to reward you, Stephen, for being a customer. So in addition to that interest, we're going to give you shares in whatever it is, Chase Chase Bank as well, to top it up to an additionally high, you know, more percentage. Because we want you as a customer to also be an owner of the company. That that is how decentralized finance actually works. So what, what happens is we deposit these tokens onto these platforms and they will actually issue us as a reward with their token. Now that that is an outsized reward and can be like 10%. So then you have like a base yield of say, you know, four or five percent, which is kind of the what you call the risk-free rate of crypto. And then there's this big kind of ownership stake that you get on top. And you know, that that kind of reward, which is just you getting ownership in, in the protocol, isn't necessarily saying, well, you're getting this because it's really high risk. You're getting it because it's a different kind of economic model. Um, so that, that that's the slight argument we've got. And what, what we would do, obviously, those tokens are then, they tend to be very volatile, very illiquid. You know, what we've got to do as an organization then is then convert those tokens into whatever the base asset is. So back into dollars again as, as cheaply as possible. So just doing that regularly is something that we do to sort of not expose ourselves to the risk of additional tokens. So you you said you have uh, you know over 10,000 active customers, right? Uh, tell me what a typical customer looks like. So we we tend to, so it's probably worth saying who the customer's not. So you know, the, the customer is that, that doesn't use us is someone who's probably been in crypto since like 2011, 2012, are really, really like passionate about the space and, and doing it themselves. And because mo- most of you know people who want to get really into the weeds, they want to manage all of their own kind of protocol risks, own their own coins, these sorts of things. Um, you know, they tend not to be the customer. The kind of customer that comes to us is someone who's, you know, they've they've done some research in crypto. They know it's a space. It's been the best performing asset class of the last ten years, but they they don't want the hassle of doing it themselves. You know, they don't want to be getting a decent because to, to get these returns, you've got to open these kind of DeFi wallets, like the, the most common being a company called MetaMask. You've got to connect them to protocols. You've got to take sell. You've got self custody your own assets. These are all really quite complicated and well beyond what most sort of your everyday investor wants to actually do. So, you know, the customer who comes to us, someone who's really like a professional investor that says, look, I've got, you know, say I've got a million dollar portfolio. It's hopefully not too much in bonds, but a chunk of it's in equities, if it's in property. You know, I want to allocate five, 10% to, to crypto because I think it's a you know, long-term asset class that's, you know, obviously paying high yields. And it's time I got some exposure to that. So that tends to be the average customer. It's kind of, it's not the speculative small investor that you know, is trying to triple their money overnight. You know, we intentionally don't have the kind of um you know the the coins on the platform which are really new which are like oh you know the next hype coin it's like that's not what it is how most people lose money in crypto you know we feel by you know restricting the the kind of coins people can invest to to just the the really big successful projects paying them high yields that tips the balance in the favor of the customer who hopefully with us is a long-term investor because that that's something i'm really passionate about being able to do most investment platforms 
you know, or trading platforms, the customer loses money over, over in the medium term. You know, I want to be able to turn around and say, in, you know, in a few years' time, well, you know, every customer we've got has made money unless they've 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 just been a little bit unlucky and bought the top of a of a short term spike, you know, that sort of thing. So, I think it's um, yeah, that tends to be the kind of customer. So the mass affluent, you know, crypto curious, and um, you know, and who's looking to sort of see look at this as as yields disappear out of out of you know traditional asset classes like bonds. And you know they're seeing inflation rise. They know they've got to do something a little bit more active. Now you're you're based out of England, and so is uh, you know I'm, I'm of course in the United States. Uh, if somebody in the United States goes and uh, you know and makes an investment, so to speak, I don't know if that, is that the right terminology, an investment in your. So effect- effectively, they're using us to generate yield. So yeah, it's not not an investment okay. per se, as you as in the in the regular regulated sense, but it's. Uh, yeah, it would be effectively staking the asset on our platform. Uh, what would the see? I know you're in England, but what's the tax ramifications of working with somebody in England if you're in the United States? Uh, you must have American clients. So, what do you know about it? So, sadly, at the moment, due to some recent changes, I'm not sure if you you saw, but two big companies, BlockFi being one of them, just paid a hundred million dollar fine to the um, the SEC. So we we are not onboarding U.S. customers at the moment, and mm. sadly that that puts you in the minority of countries globally. You know, it's a market that you know I'm I'm very passionate about. You know, I've got a big close affinity to the U.S. My my parents lived there for six years, and I spent a lot of a lot of time there, which I which I really liked. Um, but um, you know, I think it's um, it's a case of um, sorry, just uh, yeah. So it's a case of. Um, you know, I think just trying to do it as the regulatory picture becomes more more clear. I think we'll um we'll absolutely be making sure that you know we're it's because it it's the biggest market in crypto currently. But in terms of tax, you know, this is this is where um you know, on the whole, this is obviously not advice, but it's you know what you're looking at with with tax is you're having to pay a um you know you're, you're earning income on an asset, so it's it's taxed as income on the asset, and you're also having to if there is a capital gain under on the underlying. Then you know, as you sell it, you would have to, um, you know, pay that capital gain. But most people do this because they don't want to sell the, the underlying. You know, they want to try and get some interest out of it, but they don't want to realize maybe they bought it years ago and it's obviously gone up a lot in price already. Um, but they're, you know, they, they're doing this because they, you know, they they want to basically try and get some sort of income out of an asset otherwise, which is just providing some sort of capital appreciation. So you, uh, before you, how long has this company been around now? So we've been around eighteen months. So not long. eighteen months. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? Why uh, eighteen months? Why? Why? What did you ramp up to ten thousand active customers? That's an incredible trajectory. So yeah, it's been um, it's been a little wild. So I think um, you know, we we it's sort of January of last year. Really, it was still a PowerPoint, and you know, we went out to seed investors, and we we raised we raised around from some angels that that sort of we knew. Um, being a crypto, there was there's there's no hotter market right now really than than crypto, and you know in the UK at least it's getting more venture funding than than sort of traditional fintech. Um, so we we kind of identified very early that this was going to be a very high growth business very quickly. So we kind of raised a million dollars for the seed round, um, and then about six months later, after we sort of hired the team, built sort of the first MVP of the product. We were approached to effectively do a SPAC, 
where we reverse the company into a listed entity in the UK, the trades on the UK Stock Exchange. And you know, in the process of doing that, which we completed in October, we, ra- we raised another £10 million um, for, for that year. So, you know, we had a bit of a war chest. And, you know, we, and we also think this is, you know, as you've said, 12% is really high. You're right. You know, and it's, there's other, we have competitors out there. We are paying top of the market at the moment. Just so happens that, you know, we have a very experienced investment team and we're of a size where we can generate higher yields for our customers. Um, but we think this is a land grab. So, you know, we're very, very aggressively, you know, um, acquiring customers. And, you know, that, that 10,000 users that Mark we had was a month ago. And, um, you know, before that, we were growing at 100% a month. So, you know, we're expecting that rate to increase, sorry, to, to, to persist. So, you know, I think um, this, is, this is going to be a, you know, a land grab. We've got to be, get big quickly. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we've designed a product and launched it now that seems to be, you know, really getting some good, good traction with customers, great feedback. So I think, you know, we, we've got it. We, we want to be having customers in the millions in the not too distant future. That's, that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of growth curve we're going to hopefully stay on. Well, what were you doing before you started this? So I'd, I'd worked in, um, pretty much start, startup financial businesses for most of my career. Um, always smaller, smaller businesses. And I quite enjoyed that because it kind of allows you to, you know, gain experience in multiple areas of the business. Um, so I'd been doing, I started a kind of an asset management firm quite young, um, uh, with, but almost as an entrepreneur, I guess you'd call it, at a large, within a larger company, they needed someone to set up kind of a trading desk and it just happened on sort of right place, right time um, with a client base and things like that. So I kind of started an asset management business in my, my early 20s um did that for kind of five years then um you know financial crisis hit and so the parent group wasn't particularly happy with the business um so kind of scaled back some of the operations so i I actually moved to to do more of an institutional kind of finance finance role where i was kind of sitting in between investment banks and then as they moved money around the world i was sort of facilitating that and it was kind of a, a core broking job which was a lot of fun but then, then after that, sort of in the early sort of 2010s, came back and to the UK and started building fintech. So worked at a, a robo advisor for four years, then a payments company, and then then founded then founded a crew. So um, yeah, it's been um, it's been good. So tell me about like what? How did you notice the opportunity with a crew? Tell me uh, what what was it? What did you say? I think, you know, if, if rewinding before a crew to this, this, when I was at this robo advisor, it was, I spent kind of four years running around the UK. And in that time, probably spoke to, I don't know, 10,000 people, roughly, um, and went through this kind of app. And what this app did was just ask some very basic sort of uh, questions around their finances and try to improve, you know, work with them to improve just, just the basics and get to the point where they could save money each month in, into the app. Um, but what I what I kind of realized there was there is just this huge, um, I don't know um, what you call it, kind of resistance for people when it comes to money. People people glaze over very quickly. You know, anything complicated becomes you know is just like just won't be done unless it's like right there in front of them, really simple to do. It's a click of a button. People don't engage in their finances generally. So, you know, I think I've that. That I think is doesn't matter what you're doing. If you can make it simple for people, then 
you know, it's that's a that's a business. Doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, you've seen it with Airbnb, you've seen it with you know Uber. They're all just simplifying customer experiences. Really, you know. So when I looked at crypto and I looked at the world of decentralized finance, it's like, yeah, there are great yields there, but there is no way in hell anyone, you know, 99% of people will never engage with this. It's far too complicated. So all it needs is someone just to simplify that experience. And um, so that's what we built. We are the filter that sits between the customer and what is quite a complex way of generating yield in the background. Um, yeah. What's the, minimum, what's the minimum investment that someone has to do at a crew? I mean, it's, it's, it's a small, there, there is no minimum investment. You know, some people, everyone who signs up, we give them $10 just so they can, they, from the moment they log in, one of the things we really like is kind of being able to earn interest instantly. So, um, you know, I was quite keen that the customer sees that from the moment they log in. So we give them $10, we land on the platform, you can see straight away that, you know, your, your balance is kind of increasing, which is quite a nice little, you know, endorphin hit. But yeah, you put any amount you want in. You know, some, we sometimes see, you know, five euros arrive from someone just testing the, testing the platform. So there's no minimums. And uh, when can you get out of it? So if I put $100,000 into the platform, when do I get my money back? There's no lock-ins. So it's daily liquidity. So some, some crypto platforms are instant, but we've intentionally not gone instant because you know, we, we kind of eyeball every customer withdrawal um, to, to look for kind of anomalies to make sure that they, you know, no one's no one's been hacked or something like that. So it's one of our kind of security features. So if you ask us for the money back before two p.m. UK time, you get it back at five thirty on the same day. Um, if it's after if it's after two, it's the following day. So I'm sure you've seen or heard the, uh, uh, you know, behind Ponzi screams and you know and you know how can how can you assure investors that that's, you know, this is why, legit? Why are we not a Ponzi? Yeah. How do we know well, exactly? It's not so, yeah, I guess, yes, that's part of that. That's just, <clears> you know, uh, well, I mean, one of the ways you're not is you can get your money back instantly. I don't know if Madoff had that capability, probably, you know. Uh, I don't know if he had a lockup period or whatever. Uh, do you know? If he had a lockup period? I mean, I would assume for like a fund like that with the billions he had in it, he probably did. Um, you know, and it's it's something that, you know, we are very, very conscious of because, you know, again, coming from the world of, of traditional finance, someone's saying 12%, I'm like, don't be ridiculous. You know, that that was my, you know, it, it, that was my that was my first impression when I arrived in crypto years ago. And, it, you know, and it still is when I speak to people. And this, this is part of why we went public as a business, because, you know, most most crypto businesses are pretty, you know, pretty opaque. You don't know who owns them necessarily. You don't know, you know, where they're based, these sorts of things. Um, but with a crew, you know, the parent company, it is it trades on the London Stock Exchange. We're just about to move to a dual listing in Canada as well. It'll be quarterly reporting that we'll be putting numbers out quarterly, you know, it'll be audited. It's transparent. You know, and hopefully there's a lot of credibility coming with the fact that we, you know, we're regulated by the exchange. And, um, you know, we just wanted to go a bit further than other crypto companies have. You know, there are a few listed companies, um, but, you know, there's a lot that aren't. So that was really important to be very transparent with our finances, to show what we've got in our books, that sort of thing. So, you know, that and on top of that, you know, we do get audits, we've got operational audits from third parties that we haven't completed, as well as sort of tech audits, um, you know, so there's. We're doing everything that we can to, to, to show, you know, we, we're, we're intentionally 
open and we want to be, you know, we want to be challenged by our customers and we're, you know, we're, we, we can meet those challenges when, when requested. So, so what happened with the hundred million dollar fine from the uh, SEC on the, uh, the uh, company you mentioned, uh, what were they fined for? So, I mean, in the, the, the way, the way that they were marketing, they were very much almost marketing this as almost a bank account in the U S which paid very high levels of interest and kind of the, you know, the referral, the referring to it as a, you know, as an interest account, whereas, you know, it's not an interest account. It's not, you know, it's not a, it doesn't have, um, you know, the usual investor protections that you get with the bank account, these sorts of things. So I think what the SEC was suggesting is that, you know, obviously this company may have strayed over the line in certain areas and, you know, obviously they've, they've done it, they, they've amassed a huge amount of, um, of, uh, of deposits. And um, yeah, that you know, I think they've just, you know, the SEC ruled that they've, they've fallen foul of the regulator. So um, they got fined for that. So what, what, what would have to happen in order for you to open up your platform back to the US? We, we want to see, you know, real regulatory certainty. You know, the, the fact that this would be classified as a security is not a bad thing. You know, a lot of people in crypto kind of get worried about the fact that it's all going to get really regulated and all these sorts of things. You know, I, I speak to a lot of banks and institutions who are, you know, who are trying to want to get into crypto, but won't because the regulatory certainty just simply isn't there. But the moment it is, and I actually think that this will be the the, the catalyst for the next big kind of wave of, of, of a bull market in crypto is going to come weirdly from regulation. Because the moment it is, all this institutional capital sitting in the background will just flood into the market. So you know, once, once the US can really say, look, this is really clearly what is a security, what isn't. If this is a security, this is what you need to do. And you know, it's it's there's no kind of gray area to it. You know that that's what we're looking for, just that certainty. And um, you know, and then you know, we'll be we'll be we'll be making big inroads into the US, hopefully. You think as your company continues to go on, uh, and and as it continues to gain credibility, uh, that the interest that you would pay will go down. I mean, I think. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing certain pressures now. You know, I've got we've got companies who are in a similar space to us who have twenty billion dollars of of cash, and they are paying eight percent, and we're paying twelve. So there's almost nothing to stop those same companies becoming customers of ours and just dumping all that money onto us at twelve percent. You know, in which case that will just skew the price. That 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 will close that that kind of arbitrage down. Um, you know, it's not happening yet, and I think you know it's, but it's something we've got to be aware of because I think you know we 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 are getting a lot more institutional interest from people who probably are looking at us and saying, "Well, you guys are just paying too high." It's not whether or not we can we, we can generate it, but it's the fact that you know we're we're giving so much back to the customer that you know institutions will start almost taking advantage of that. So I think that's something that we've got an eye on. But um, you know, so it's not happening just yet. But we're we're hoping retail customers are going to see that difference and say, you know what, maybe I'm not happy with a you know a Nexo or a Celsius right now who are paying eight percent, and I can come to a crew who are paying twelve. Um, so that's really the kind of customer that we're that we're after. You know, with the, uh, the the notoriety and the press in regards to Russian oligarchs or Russian money, um, and and England's been certainly uh, 
the the press has said that England's been tough, tougher uh, on on trying to get to that money. Have you seen them come to you uh, to talk to you or to you know address any issues with the the cryptocurrency in your in regards to your organization? Not not yet. So I mean, obviously, there's been there are there are new um, you know rules and sanctions and policies that we have to put in place to ensure that um, you know we are um, you know we're we're in line with everything that that the, the new laws that have come out. Yeah, but we weren't to be fair, we weren't onboarding Russian customers beforehand either. To be honest, even before this this latest wave of um, of kind of uh, of Why not? sanctions. We we have you know we our compliance team does a country by country risk assessment and um, it fell outside of the parameters that we have. So <laughs> um, you know we we want to we're not only trying to be the simplest place in crypto but the most compliant exchange around as well. Um, you know I think there's there's a risk of a lot of companies that kind of cut corners early in their early in their life cycle, and you know as regulatory scrutiny continues to to, to mature in this space. Some of them are going to be, they're kind of dead men walking because the moment a regulator goes in there and looks at what they've done previously, you know, they'll find them or shut them down um, and they'll never approve them. Whereas, you know, we can, we can sort of hand on heart, look at our entire client base. We know that from day one, we have, you know, we've done everything absolutely to the letter of the, any law that, that is applicable for the, for the customer. So um, I think there's, you know, we 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 will always be on the slightly risk averse end of of this of of the crypto market in terms of the customers we onboard. Um, you know, there's others that don't, but you know, it, for us, we don't think it's worth it because we're aiming to be a mainstream player that is you know works with regulators, not against them. So you know, we'll be we'll be inviting a lot of regulatory scrutiny going forward in our, in our kind of company history. Is it? Um... You know, in my business that, you know, in financing solutions, you know, there's, there are, when we're, when we're looking at uh, approval guidelines, you know, there are, there, there are a number of things that are black and white, right? But there are also a lot of things that are gray, yeah. you know, things that you have to make a decision on that. It's not just, you know. Uh, an algorithm can kick it out, uh, you know, so to speak, right? Uh, you know, like it, if you're under a hundred thousand dollars in revenue for a a business, uh, we're, uh, well, it's two hundred thousand for a business. We're not going to work with you, right? Yeah. That's uh, that's the black and white, right? Uh, but then there's other things that you look through, uh, and you have to make a judgment call, right? Uh, is that, you know, it's one of the advantages we have because if you're getting a line of credit with a bank, there's no judgment calls. It's black and white, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you find in your business that there are a lot of gray areas or do you, you know, or do you find that it is pretty black and white? When we're onboarding customers, I think it's pretty black and white. I mean, because yeah. we, we, We've said it to make it intentionally. So, and um, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things you've got to do just to make sure that you know interests are in the right place. You know, obviously, 
I have no I have no influence over you know over the the compliance process. Obviously, I you know ensure that you know the the the, the works are you know the the structure is in place, but you know they have the final say. It's never I can never overrule someone in compliance, you know, because I'm I obviously have a business development bias to what we're doing, and they don't. Um, so yeah, it's it. I don't think it is particularly black and white for us. Sorry, it isn't particularly grey. It's it's gray. very black and white, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that yeah. drive you crazy. That drive you crazy sometimes. Well, no, it's the, not, think, not the black and white, but that's the compliance area. Is I mean, you're dealing with. I guess since you're dealing with a such a high volume, that you don't get emotionally involved in any particular one deal. That that's true, and I think you know I've whereas previously in my career I worked in sales in sort of regulated institutions, and I would get very frustrated with compliance there because you know it was for me it was like if I didn't get the deal through, I didn't get paid, and you know really the risk wasn't kind of on me if I'm you know being being blunt. But you know my role as CEO is to is not just I've got to look at it everything on a risk adjusted basis, and you know this is. I mean, absolutely the top priority. It's the one area that, you know, if there is regulatory risk, we don't do it. You know, it's simply it's simple as that. We're we don't it, it's it's just not worth it. So I think, you know, and um that's why that those decisions are totally out of my hands and yeah, I don't get frustrated by them now because, you know, I, I really do believe that they're there to protect us. So yeah, I'm happy with happy with how the team deals with it. Last question, because uh, just because I'm very curious, and of course, one of the questions I ask is because I'm curious about it. <laughs> uh, the countries that you will not work in, uh, so you mentioned Russia, uh, what is it about that? Because, you know, a cryptocurrency is a cryptocurrency. Yeah. So what could, you know, I, I don't know enough about it, you know, you know, is, is if there could be a fraudulent cryptocurrency that's you know that's legit uh what is it about like a country like russia where you would say your your compliance department would say we're just not going to work with them so there's i mean there's you know, not wanting to pick out russia because it's it's one of one of many i'd say but you know what what you're really looking at is you know, because we take custody of the asset you know we're effectively you know and it might be might be crypto but it could also be you know traditional currency as well so we need to make sure that the, you know, there have been adequate controls by local financial institutions, um, that those that those funds have been integrated into the financial situ- um, um, financial markets in a, you know, gone through a rigorous check. You know, so if if there's a if there's a country where you can walk into a bank, and dump a load of cash on the on the till, and you know, the, no questions asked, they'll just credit your account with it. You know. That's clearly a country that doesn't have adequate kind of you know money laundering controls in place. Oh. You know? So it's a way of like protecting kind of ourselves from downstream failures is by saying, you know, what do we think of the you know the the, the regulatory environment of the local country? You know, what yeah, you know, and you know, there's a lot of guidance out there from from most you know global regulators and the most regulators. So, you know, there's a pretty, pretty, you know, tried and tested standards and this is something that countries work very hard to remain on the good list, not the naughty list, um, because the moment they fall into the naughty list, often you find a lot of banking services are withdrawn from them because they don't want to, these countries to be connected with the wider banking networks because it's easier to, to kind of layer funds into, into, into the financial markets. So that's really what we're looking at is what is the, you know, 
what what you know outside of what we're doing what are the controls in place in that country you know and does does that increase or decrease the risk of us accepting customers from that region well it's all good stuff i learned a lot i appreciate it uh you know that's really kind of all the time we have today i'd like to thank so very much uh phil blows from Acre, uh Accru, is that pronounced correct? Acru? That is correct, yeah. As in accruing yeah. wealth. That's the thing. Yeah, gotcha. Accru, yes. It's AQRU for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And also, if you feel like today was a five star or past episodes were five stars, please give us a review uh, on your app. It really helps us get the word out. The Entrepreneur MBA podcast has become extremely popular. Very proud of that. Uh, I think we're going in our fourth season. We've done over a hundred episodes. Um, and I just really just try to bring really good guests on. And Phil uh, was a great guest today. Um, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. Uh, Phil, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or your organization, how would they go about doing that? Uh, best way is you know, go on the App Store, download the app. Um, it's on Apple, Android, and on the web. Um, we've got oh, there's an intercom function there. We've got an amazing customer service team that you know will educate you, will walk you through the process, and you know we get amazing feedback about them. Um, or just yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm most active. So just Phil blows there, um, and you'll um, yeah. It's, uh, I, I try and re respond to as many sort of messages that I get as possible. Yep. So, uh, Phil, thanks for coming on today. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, uh, just a summary of today and, uh, you know, and thank you all for listening. I think, you know, the, the concept, uh, like, like Phil said, the four hour work week maybe was the start of passive income, the idea of defining it anyway. Uh, it, I, I think I'm 57 I have one business. Uh, I have a couple businesses, but one of the businesses I have, we specifically, my business partner and I specifically started it so that we could have passive income coming in. Uh, and it's really worked well. And I think if you have an existing business, uh, it's always a good day to do the exercise of saying, what other type of passive income could I have? I actually have two because I have commercial real estate. I have this other business that I work, financing solutions I work in day to day. So it's a good exercise to look at it, regardless if it's investing in cryptocurrency, it's investing in the stock market, if it's real estate, uh, you know, if it's some other way that you can gain more uh, uh, income. Uh, so take a look at it. It's a good exercise to sit down with a cup of coffee and kind of brainstorm what else you could do to, to have some passive income. And, uh, you know, I think it's something that's worth doing. So everybody have a really fantastic day. We'll talk to you soon. And please listen to more Entrepreneur MBA podcasts.